Welcome to D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, cast and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Our theme music, Industrious Ferret, is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks! There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies... Meat, pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions, or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? 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 Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. Tonight we have very special guests with us. We have Ari Levich and James Wyatt, courtesy of Wizards of the Coast. They were intimately involved in Ravnica, all things Ravnica, for Wizards of the Coast. And they're here to talk to us and to you uh, to give us a little more insight into the whole Ravnica project, what it means for Wizards of the Coast, where we're going next, some of the, the ways that it got from there to here. As always, we start with a get-to-know-you question for our guests. So our get-to-know-you question tonight, uh, which all four of us will answer, is what is your favorite plane in the magic multiverse other than Ravnica? Other than Ravnica. Other than Ravnica, because we're starting easy, because, you know, no pressure (laughs) on this one. Hmm. Other than Ravnica. I think I would say Zendikar. Zendikar, all right, good one. Yeah, partly that's because that's where we were when I moved to the Magic team. Um, It's also the first Magic set where I really started playing in earnest. And it's the first art book that I wrote and the first plane shift that I wrote. And I, yeah, I'm invested. And it had such pretty cards. It really did. It really did. 
Uh, oh, okay. I'll go. I'll go next. I want to say Dominaria because I read the original, uh, the books, the novels behind it uh, with Urza and all of that. It's, it's just such a good story. Oh, <laughs> man, if you haven't read it, read it. You can you can even buy it in like two gigantic volumes if you don't want to read like a bunch of little books because it feels mm-hmm. less daunting that way somehow. That is a good answer. Um, I think I would probably have to go for a similar reason uh, that James said his, but I'd probably have to go with Tarkir. Uh, Ooh, now yeah, that, that is not one that many people would have picked off the top of their head. I think. No, I mean it's true. Like when I joined the magic, before I joined D and D, I was on the magic team, so I made a, I made the opposite uh, direction uh, move that James did. Um, I started on magic, and the first bit of world building I got to do was working on the Abzan for Tarkir, and so it kind of that holds a special place in my heart, and it's something I would yeah, that's something I would love to play in. Uh, I've, I've I've run a little campaign of my own on Tarkir, and it's just it's awesome. a ton of fun. My favorite plane is Innistrad, and that is because I love all things horror, and uh, I really like Liliana Vess. It's not surprising that I pick a strong female hero, and that's who I that's who I like the best. But uh, I, Innistrad is my jam. That's makes me super happy. That was that fantastic. Choice. Yeah, I mean it, it's an easy one. A lot of people like Innistrad. It's pretty popular. <laughs> so. Uh, now that we've broken the ice, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, how you got to the whole Ravnica project, and why your input into this the set is so important for both D&D and Magic. Um, so uh, I, started, I my, uh, started in D&D about a year ago, and uh, this was the first project I got to do as a member of D&D, and I came over from the Magic team. And on Magic, I was actually, uh, I was leading the world building for the Guild of Ravnica uh, card set. And so this was kind of a natural fit for me as I, as we uh, decided to do uh, Ravnica as our first kind of crossover uh, in book form uh, to do, um, uh, uh, to be involved in the, in the project. And so my job on the project was to make James's job easier. And I hope that <laughs> the case, James. Um, yes. his, James uh, led the design on the set. And so uh, I was there to kind of assist him, and I got to do a little bit of art directing, which was a lot of fun, thanks to uh, Shauna Narciso. And uh, I got, yeah, so I did a lot of uh, art wrangling, and some, um, some I got to do some design as well, uh, doing some stat block design on the, uh, the guild masters themselves, um, and a handful of characters. So, yeah, it was, just, it was kind of a, a first for me on uh, in many ways, and... Uh, Having a very familiar plane like Ravnica was just was was awesome. So you've been at Wizards though, kind of a long time, like five, six, seven, eight years. Uh, I was here. I got here at the beginning of 2013. So yeah, suddenly it's a long time. Yeah. How did how did you get from wherever you were to Wizards? Um, so it's that's one of the things that always kind of uh, blows my mind about this job is the. The myriad paths that people take to get here. Um, so I, I was a history teacher in high school before this. I taught for about five years, and then, um, but it, on the side, I was making comics. With, uh, I was making comics with my brother, and you know, shooting short films. And I was able to get a contract job writing flavor text for Magic. 
And then when a, a uh, in-house contract position opened up to be a world builder, um, I applied for it and uh, I, I got the job and then that turned into a full-time job and here I am now. So there, yeah. There's always a lot of uh, sparkly-eyed people that like to listen, like to learn more about uh, the people that write the products that we love because they, in a way, very real way, you're living the dream and they want to know how you got there so they can look at their own path too. That's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. And so, so the thing, like whenever, you know, this, this is still a job, it's still a work and it's hard, but it's always a thing to remember that, you know, there are other things I could be doing, but you know, this is, I get, to, I get to work on D and D and it is, it is still, I still feel like a little kid every time I come in the building. It's, it's a really cool job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, James, tell us a little more about yourself, how you got to where you are. You've also had a very interesting path and uh, yes. how you contributed to Guildmaster's Guide Raptica. Well, um, so I've been at Wizards since 2000 uh, because I am old. Um, I worked on the D&D team for 14 and a half years and moved over to Magic in 2014, um, where I've been continuing to work on books, uh, which is not something the Magic team generally has done. But the the Magic, the Art of Magic the Gathering series of books is uh, one of the main things I've been working on. So um, being experienced with writing books after 14 years of D&D, being pretty steeped in Ravnica, having worked uh, with Ari on the Guilds of Ravnica world building, and um, having sort of laid the groundwork for a D&D magic crossover with these plane shift supplements I've been writing, I also was a natural choice to to actually work on this book. So when I did the Zendikar art book, um, I came into it straight fresh off the D&D team, thinking of it basically as a campaign setting book. And I figured, well, I'm writing this campaign setting book. All it needs is a little bit of rules and I can actually play D&D here. So that's what I did. And that ended up on the website and that ended up as the first of six little PDF downloads to help people play D&D in these worlds. Can I also and just now, point out, I just got to jump in because in the art books, there, if you kind of, if you look closely or even not too closely, you'll see little adventure hooks kind of, kind of sprinkled throughout. So that always, that always got me, especially in the, the Innistrad one. So, mm, yeah, I, actually you, James, you wrote one of, for one of my favorite things for role-playing games period, which was Mask of the Red Death. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> long yeah. time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But uh, that yeah. is actually how I got started. Yeah. Nice segue into my early career. So yeah, I was uh, a United Methodist minister in southeastern Ohio, and um, for fun, I was writing horror adventures for my friends. <laughs> Which uh, is a little counterintuitive, perhaps. Yeah, not really. <laughs> no, not not really. I mean, one of you know our DMs in, in Knoxville is a, a preacher, and he he runs some crazy games. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think the first thing that I had accepted into the the old magazines for D&D, Dragon and Dungeon, was a Mask of the Red Death adventure called Falls Run. Um, But before that actually ran, an article, um, Mystics, Miracles, and Meditations, more rules options for Mask of the Red Death, came out in December of 1996. 
except that it didn't actually come out until January of 1997, because that was the last issue of Dragon Magazine that was published before Wizards bought TSR, and there was this six-month dry spell where nothing came out. So pretty much, I killed Dragon Magazine. Well, you know, everybody's got their their one minute of fame, right? (laughs) Fortunately, necromancy is a thing, so it came back. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. So, I mean... You're, you're both obviously very passionate about Ravnica. Um, what would you say, like, why do you like Ravnica specifically so much? What's like, what's like your favorite part of Ravnica? Uh, factionalization is just so powerful. Um, and particularly in, on Ravnica, it, the way the factions break down in 10 guilds, but it's still in a big city it forces interaction that it's still a cosmopolitan place. And I just love that, that notion of people from kind of disparate backgrounds, essentially that they opted into, which is also kind of an empowering thing about Ravnica uh, that you choose your guilds um, and that, but you still have to interact with the people in the city and that just, it just makes for, for good storytelling. And it may, it's usually, at least in, in the D&D setting, uh, it forces people to um, confront their differences, even as they're working as a group. But as a plane itself, just in a world-building sense, just it, the drama, the inherent drama that's there with guilds all kind of have, with different worldviews uh, essentially existing in the same place. Yeah, the, the factionalization for me is a, a really strong character hook. When I think of it as, you know, the player's handbook in the process of character creations as start with an image of what your character is. And I think of the guilds as pointers toward a, a range mm-hmm. of images of what your character might be. I mean, if you start off saying, wow, I really like the gruel, look at all these cool images of gruel people. Like that gives me a really strong pointer toward the kind of character that I want to play. And I can either be just like these cool art pieces that I'm seeing, or I can put a twist on them in an interesting way. But then, I mean, the, the personality traits and ideals and bonds and flaws and stuff are all of the guilds pretty much write themselves starting from s- such a strong foundation in, in magic lore and color pie philosophy and all that stuff. Yeah. That was actually a point that came up. We did a, um, another segment on Ravnica previously when it was first announced and it was a really good tie-in to how, like, um, I believe it was Gail, who is more of a magic player than a D&D player. And so when she creates something, that's automatically what she goes to. She doesn't really do the alignment thing. She doesn't know that. She's like, well, you know, this guy's going to be, um, you know, a healer, but he's kind of, like, techie or whatever. So obviously, you know, Simic, and then just kind of go from there with the personality mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> or... Uh, or, you know, this guy, you know, he's just really here to kind of kill people and be in the background being all treacherous and whatever. So obviously, you know, maybe he's like House Demir hired mercenary. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) I might have a favorite guild and that might be it. So I just want to say there's nothing wrong with that. Well, okay, so we (laughs) talked about how mine was Boros, though, because they bring the doom down on those who deserve it. The vengeful doom. (laughs) Yeah, nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah, both fire and lightning. Take that. Uh, but also, you know, like the angel of mercy when you deserve that. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, I was I was listening to one of the um, 
uh, Mark Rosewater drives to work podcasts, which are, uh, which are really fabulous, but he was, mm-hmm. it was one of his old ones, I think, where he was talking about Ravnica and he said that the designer who had said, well, how about we do guilds and they'll each be two colors and we can each do one of each. And, uh, it was funny because on his podcast, he was like, and I, and I just knew it. That was it. That was what we were going to do. It was going to be great. Uh, and it was it was funny how he immediately identified that as something that players would love, and he was right. You know, it's funny because it's it's very easy and meme worthy to look at fictional characters and evaluate what their D and D alignment is. But it's really psychologically interesting to look at, say, a team of magic story designers and analyze what guilds they belong to, or or in general what their colors are. It's like I understand my teammates better for understanding why they're so different from I am from, from me in a color pie sense. Oh, well that, that comes up to another excellent lead on questions. What <laughs> colors are you? I okay. am very green white. Um, in, in cards and especially in role playing, I'm red, white. I want to be Boros legions smiting evil and uh, tanking for my party. But in real life, I'm a hippie spiritual guy living on a commune <laughs> Ideally, okay. All right. I'm not actually living on a commune but I, I mean, would be Celeste, there's no shame in you know Celestina you know they 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 are wonderful people <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah what, All right, what about you I don't know James what what colors am I you say you do this with your co-workers so I have to know <laughs> you have a list somewhere I'm sure um I think I I I bounce between uh, Is it and uh, Azorius, I think, which is a, an odd one. So there's just, I guess, some blue in there. Um, but I typically play characters and even decks that are are gruel. Um, so I, th- I think there's the fantasy element of being able to be something that you or or do things you can't normally do, and uh, that, so it's an interesting thing that I. I gravitate toward the fantasy of smashing everything. <laughs> but but you're reality, playing an awesome Is It Wizard now. That's true. I actually am currently playing an Is It Wizard. So, yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting thing to kind of classify people, you know, as a, as a guild. I was kind of looking through them and trying to figure out where I'm at. And I've come up with two like when I'm at home, I feel like I'm part of the Golgari. I'm in charge of the food. Everyone's gonna eat. <laughs> we gotta keep everything. But you know, in general, I kind of think is it, um, you know, keep everything going, keep everything functional, uh, come up with new stuff to keep improvements going and rocking and rolling. Paige, I mean, what do you, you think? You think those are? I, th- I think that's me. I don't think I'm a bias there. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I am totally Orzov. Like, <laughs> I yeah. have rules. I really like them. I get a little stabby when when things are not done by said rules. She has spreadsheets for her spreadsheets. I do. <laughs> I do. I do. Although I really like the Demir too. Like, I want to be Demir, but I think I'm actually Orzov. I just want to say, beware the person who self-identifies as Orzov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, do terrible things for the for the common good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think that, um, so that's one thing I noticed was not in the book, was that uh, why not jettison alignment and instead of alignment have colors? Uh, 
did, is that something you guys talked about or we never is, is alignment one of those sacred cows for D&D that we just cannot take out back and shoot? So my fundamental philosophy of thinking about uh, merging D&D and, and magic in any way is mixing chocolate and peanut butter is great. Mixing choc- mixing like chocolate and almond butter or peanut butter and carob, nobody wants. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> almond butter. I don't know. That might be good. Almond butter's not bad. Uh, yeah, I was thinking um, chocolate and almond butter might be all right. I like chocolate covered yeah. almonds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but almond butter. Well, anyway. So <laughs> let's go with peanut butter and carob as my metaphor here. <laughs> Um, because if you're if you're playing D and D in a magic setting, you still want to be playing D and D. You don't want to be playing something that's kind of like D and D um, if you're a D and D fan. So um, alignment stayed in. There were earlier drafts of the book that talked about color a lot more explicitly and basically tried to present uh, present the guilds in that light and help D and D players understand what the heck that was talking about. Um, and that's kind of still in there if you read really closely between the lines and and insert colors where they're not mentioned. Um, each guild has has some information about goals and philosophy where it's like if oh this paragraph about the Azorius is talking about their blue side and this paragraph about the Azorius mm-hmm. is talking about their white side and I understand that if I have the color pie in my head, but if you don't know what it is, you're not going to be mystified by that. And that's the thing. It was mostly about outlining what those colors represent and just being clear about what the implications were in world building, um, as, as opposed to, you know, explicitly saying the colors themselves. Uh, one of the big things we knew that we wanted the, sh- the book to look like a D&D book on the shelf with your other D&D books. And so uh, making it feel, uh, making this appealing to D&D players who know nothing about Ravnica, you know, is also was, was, a big, was a big element of this. So it needs to or we wanted it to uh, emphasize kind of the, the D&D nature of, the, of a Ravnica setting, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, and um, were there like any other elements from like the core of Ravnica lore that you had to either emphasize or de-emphasize to kind of fit into that D&D format that you're wanting? Uh, I, I think the, the big thing uh, really, as James said, was color. Um, and that really came, that a way that manifested it again, or it came up again, was with uh, spells. Um, you know, when you're, we were talking about, you know, guild spells and how if you're, if you're a caster, any kind of caster in a particular guild, you get a, a set of guild spells. And those spells, if, I mean, those who, who, who know the colors of magic, those spells kind of cleave to what those colors would be in the card game. And so that's another identifier for the guilds. Um, what we didn't want to do, however, is restrict spells. And so we wanted to go more of an uh, emphasize the spells that feel the most like the guilds, as opposed to saying you only get these spells and you don't get anything else. And so that was one of the kind of points of tension that we had that we resolved pretty early on, but we had to look at that just like you, you know if you if I'm if I am a um, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with any example, but if I am so an Orzhov cleric, yeah, right, and and healing spells are white. That might or might not be right, but but I don't want to play a cleric and not be able to do the things that a cleric is supposed to be able to do. Um, diving into the minutia of, of D&D history, the second edition uh, specialty priest had some of that problem where you mm-hmm. choose spells from different spheres and you might not choose the healing sphere at all. And so you can't really right. be a, the cleric that your party needs. 
and that you could find creative ways to put the gruel spin on how a healing spell works in terms of how the spell manifests, and that's totally reasonable. But it also means that if I'm a gruel cleric and I want to play the most gruel cleric possible, I don't have to take healing spells. I could try to find the ones that, to me, represent the most gruel, or uh, you know, a cleric that is the most gruel, and go in that direction, or not play a cleric at all. And But these are all choices that a player can make. And so we knew kind of early on that we didn't want to over gamify this by, by restricting things. And we wanted to kind of give you the flavor reasons why these spells are associated with different guilds, but you could take that and do what you will with it. And I do think we'll see gruel clerics and stuff that aren't really healing clerics. Cause we've already got plenty of clerics who aren't that kind of cleric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like the D and D has a fine tradition of badass battle clerics. So the, the gruel falls right up in that. Yep. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, we also, in this, we emphasized kind of the street level aspect of Ravnica. Um, and this doesn't really touch on uh, the planeswalkers um, as a thing, because right now it's about creating mem- characters that are from this place and really indulging in what Ravnica has to offer. So that was another aspect that we kind of pushed on Ravnica was basically being from Ravnica. Yeah, uh, someone just posted something somewhere in some group on Facebook, which really (laughs) doesn't narrow it down. But it was a clip of, I think, Mike Merles from Happy Fun Hour. And somebody's like, Mike, no, why no planeswalkers? And he said, where are they going to walk to? Yep. (laughs) Really, what we've got is Ravnica. We have some plane ship documents, but all we have is Ravnica. So maybe down the road, maybe down the road. Which makes as much sense as anything else. Yeah, and also there's just so much that Ravnica has to offer, and we wanted to keep the keep the focus on that. So, I mean, even even the title Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, it's really keeping the focus on 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 the guilds and on the on Ravnica itself. It's on the culture and everything there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Ravnica offers a lot of stuff, uh, but what what does it do for you that you would say that the Forgotten Realms just really can't scratch that itch. Oh, yeah, it's very, it's very different than kind of traditional D&D, oh. Forgotten Realms, or Nintir Vale, or Greyhawk, or whatever. And uh, it, it does things that they don't. Yeah, like yeah, like for the, for the player who's only had the Forgotten Realms, and who's never really, you know, had anything else, only a 5th edition or whatever, why would, we, why would we move to Ravnica? I mean, I know why I'm moving, but... <laughs> I think, like, for me, this is, I mean, the thing that I always go back to is this notion that on, in Forgotten Realms, a big part of the fun of that game is the discovery of going to new places um, where you are the stranger and you are getting wrapped up in kind of the local affairs of like, okay, what's, you know, you go to this town, it's, you know, it's being, it's being overrun by goblins or whatnot. You have to go find the goblin chief and do whatever. Um but you've never been to that that town before. It's just a new experience, or you're going into the ruins for the first time. I think on Ravnica, one of the unique elements is that you are from this city. This is your, this is where you live, and you know, you're you know you go home after a day of working with you know with your guild. Uh, some of the some of the guilds anyway. You might just go have an apartment somewhere, and you live your life in Ravnica, and then things kind of disrupt that, and that's kind of the seed. Those are the seeds of adventures. But I just love this idea that this is this is your home. There's almost kind of a 
Marvel Comics New York vibe to it of just those characters care about New York because they they live there. Um, and so there's some, that's a big appeal uh, of Ravnica, I think, for me, is that this is this is where my character lives. This is where I'm from. Yeah. All right. So it, it kind of uh, we have to leave our murder hobo ways behind us because it's not like you're leaving the city because you can't. <laughs> I mean, you could opt out of your murder hobo ways if you like. But yeah, I think there's there's more things. I mean, there's definitely kind of just automatic hooks for why you care about what's happening around you. And at the same time, there's opportunities like we're going to delve into the Undercity and go right. hunt bugs and oozes right. um, in a very classic D&D feeling adventure um, without even leaving the city. And with guild politics still mixed up in all of that. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that I mean, you guys have really just done a great job of explaining why I'm so into Ravnica. <laughs> I mean, I liked it when I played it in Magic, and, and I, I still still really enjoy the setting now. I was super, super jazzed when they announced it. Um, was not the one I expected, but... What did you expect? Well, uh, Ooh. we had a whole show full of speculation about it. Dark Sun and, and uh, uh, Planescape and Spelljammer all uh, figured prominently. For, for settings. And then if we were going to do a, um, a magic setting, we'd kind of geared everything up to, I don't, I don't know, we, we were bringing dinosaurs and everything into Forgotten Realms, and we were, we yep. were ready to go to Ixalan. Yep. Definitely. I, I still okay. voted for Innistrad, but that might have not been rational. That might have been <laughs> Yeah, no. Paige just wants all the vampires and all I do. the creepy spooky. But, uh, let's see. We're, we're... So, so here's a question. So one of the things that this setting does is uh, <clears throat> it takes uh, two potentially disparate groups of folks, the magic players and the D&D players, and puts them together. And you have people who have never played D&D before suddenly thinking about D&D and people who never played magic before suddenly thinking about magic. So it's a, it's a weird dogs set of... living together. Yes, mass hysteria. <laughs> so, so it's a two-part question. For a magic player coming over here to play D&D, what's the first thing you want them to know or the most important thing for them to know? And for a D&D player coming over here to play in this uh, magic IP, what is the first thing you want that person to know? So there was a, a ad campaign, I think we did, we did, yes, for the Star Wars role-playing game years ago that was like stills from the Star Wars movies with some guy in the background circled and saying, what's this guy's story? Um, that's what I would invite a Magic player to think about uh, coming to, to D&D is you get the opportunity to to look at all this amazing art on uh what seven sets of, of magic cards now and uh whatever inspires you to explore more you get to make it up you're not just putting down the pieces of cards on the, the table anymore you are deciding what this person's story is and um, who they are what they're like yeah i think the the common thread for both you know, magic players and D&D players, wherever you start, I think it still comes back to guilds. Um, if you're a magic player, 
uh, and you've played in Ravnica, you probably have a strong affiliation with one of these guilds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the opportunity to now play as a character in one of those guilds to kind of your avatar and why you identify with this guild um, is really appealing. And for a D&D player, it's kind of the first peek into Ravnica. If you've never heard of Ravnica before, uh, but you start digging into what each of these guilds, each of these factions kind of represent, you could quickly find a way to, uh, to, to make this place resonant to you. And so I think just really like the guilds are, are the key to both, both magic players and D and D players to getting excited about, about what Ravnica has to offer. Yeah. I think there's, there's a pretty safe bet that if you have a D and D character you love, who's a member of one of these guilds, and then you go and you play a magic deck that rep- made up of cards from one of those guilds, you're going to feel at home. I mean, mm-hmm. not just with the, the art that you're saying and the creatures you're playing with, but with the style of play that that uh, deck suggests. I like to think that's true anyway. I'm not sure it's, <laughs> it applies all the way across the board. But that was the intent anyhow. I think so. I mean, because, because the guilds... Um, are not just political, they're, they're really, I mean, like we were talking about with the color pie, they're really psychographic. Um, that mm-hmm. There are characteristics of people and the tendencies that we have that are going to draw us to certain guilds. And um, the magic team over the years, I think, has done a really good job of matching the mechanics of the cards and the decks that you build around those mechanics to the kind of player who likes that guild. I think that's part of the reason that, Ma- that Ravnica has been so successful. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as far as bringing D&D players into Magic, that you'll get, um, well, I don't know how many, but a, a good number of people playing casual Magic and building decks that kind of tell that story that they're coming up with in their head. Um, you know, whether it be all of the the goblins who are trying to, you know, sneak in and infiltrate a uh, Simic you know, outpost or, or whatever. And so they've got to, you know, have your goblins throwing bombs. And it, it's not really a sneak, a sneak <laughs> sneaking in. But, but what? It's goblins. I don't think they've ever met a sneaky goblin. Uh, or, or whatever it is, you can kind of go through and, like, pick your cards and, and build your story that way. And, and the cards really tell such good stories if you actually sit down and, and read them. And I think, too, that that's what will bring over a lot of Magic players to D&D is that there's that story there in the flavor text on the cards. And it's so small and it's so little. And mm-hmm. what else happens? Right. So, and then what? And, yeah. and do you feel like that's our best way to market this uh, to magic players, like it, I have a secret agenda, and by that I mean it's not actually secret at all. That I want as many people playing as much Dungeons and Dragons as possible. So sounds good to me. That's yeah. how how do I evangelize to these magic players? Nah, you should come over and do this. It's going to be great. Like, what's my what's my sales tactic? First off, why not both? <laughs> I mean, yes, agreed. Why not both? Yeah, my daughter will yeah. often go over to a friend's house and play D&D for a couple hours, and then they break out their commander decks and play Magic for a couple hours. Um, playing both is good. Um, marketing is not my specialty by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, matter is evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That's fair. Um, but I, I keep coming back to that. What's this guy's story or what's the rest of the story or what happens next? Um, as, as a really intriguing way to, to lure people into a game. And, and I do, I do think that's a very powerful way. Like the characters that they've seen or whatever, that are just kind of like background, like what about them? What would you have them do? Yeah. So I think you're definitely on to something there. It's simple, and you know it's it's very evocative. It gets your imagination going, which I mean that's D and D right there. Yeah, and one of the the clever things that we sometimes do in uh, flavor text and magic cards is to tell a story over time. Um, and with seven Ravnica sets under our belt, we've had the opportunity to do that a couple times. And I I can't remember what cards are out now and what aren't, so I'm not going to talk about that oh, in right. more depth. But, yep. but you know, you'll see sometimes a no-name character show up a, a couple of times. There was an example in, um, in Innistrad, actually, of an angel that Ford Lion painted, I think. That shows up in several cards. I might be completely misremembering that, <laughs> and so I'm sorry to both Howard and the artist who it actually is. But, but but that kind of gag is really fun to do on magic cards, and it's something that you can absolutely bring to life in a and d game. I think you are right that it was Howard Lyon, for the record. But also, I apologize if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... If you are wrong, well, congratulations, Howard, on being so memorable. Is Wizards of the Coast uh, doing things to put the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica and you know links on how to find D&D games in front of Magic players? I mean, is there kind of a cross-marketing strategy in there somewhere? Um, I, that's a fine question. Oh, I'm going to get, probably get the scolding after this. Um, I, we don't, we don't want anything that will get you scolded. We, we yeah, only want public, public stuff. Yeah. Um, what there we're doing, I mean, there's, there's some, there's a stream going on right now. Um, there's the, the broken pact, which is a D and D stream, you know, for, uh, set on Ravnica. Um, but in terms of like marketing directly to magic players, I believe there was an insert, uh, in one of the, in the card packs, but I also could be mistaken. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh boy, I should know this. Hey, uh, now, now we got to buy cards to find out. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, I, I most of my magic cards. In fact, all of my magic cards these days are are digital uh, because I play a whole lot of arena. But uh, those sadly don't come with inserts. All right, I'm going to need our listeners to buy cards and report back to us. <laughs> <laughs> homework oh yeah uh well you know i expect ravnica to go guildmaster's guide around to go over really well and is from what i've seen so far it actually is but um if it does go well and it is considered a smashing success by wizards what would you say would be the next plane that fans would request the most and want to see like a full crossover setting done like this and you know more than just a little plane shift things you've been doing and and note and note this is being said as what do fans want not what are you planning on doing so plausible deniability yeah if you've got secret plans you don't have to tell us <laughs> um so 
every time I put out a plane ship, there's some number of people on Twitter who are like, great, when are you going to do this other plane? Um, that is often Eros. Every once in a while, it's Bablovia, the setting of the latest unset, um, which, frankly, I'm never going to do. <laughs> I was going to say, um, that's random and off the wall there. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, Tarkir comes up a fair amount. Um, I would like to play D&D there, too. Ari, if you ever start up a new campaign, I'm in. Okay, good to know. <laughs> also, I may be the person who's spamming you about a plane shift Tarkir article, so... <laughs> Secret Twitter accounts revealed. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, I've seen a number of people say, hey, Ravnica looks great. How come it's not Dominaria? Um, I, I mean, I think you probably get, get them for everything. People probably want some some Lorwens, some Kaladesh, some... Uh, we've already discussed how many people want Innistrad, at least everyone present. Alara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Let's just do the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, just five five the, books worth. Yeah, yeah. Just put the shards back together. <laughs> Nick, bring in Nicol Bolas and yeah, this is the world reborn. No, that's a bit much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know. Uh, but uh, the the reality is that whatever we do next, if we were to do something next, would probably tie to a future card set. Right, because it makes you know, it, it makes sense to two birds with one stone, right? Right. Yeah. No. And absolutely. So, you know, uh, return to Zendikar for the third time or something, and that'd be great. And then we could just do Zendikar. <laughs> Sold. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we need more floating ziggurats in our life. Like who doesn't, really. right? Um, <laughs> Also, the little tippy cup islands. Uh, yep. My favorite one, by the way. Yep. Kudos to that artist whose name I also cannot remember because that's not my forte. <laughs> I collected so many of the full art tippy cup islands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, that was my jam. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, so, you, you, you've talked about, um, James, you've talked about your. Planescape setting supplements that you've done, and then you've done several of those. What do you kind of most enjoy about doing those and um, doing this setting book as well? Um, world building is fun. <laughs> um, and the way that I have always done world building since I was in high school is by viewing worlds through the lens of D&D rules. Um, it's it's a, a fun, almost tinkery sort of way of, of exploring what makes worlds different from each other um, and what they have in common, I guess. Uh, Vincent Post was that artist on the... <laughs> the up island. Sorry. <laughs> oh no 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 no! It's very very important. I I also have that urge to. Oh, I'm missing a piece of information. I must immediately Google it. So I had done that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but now everyone uh, knows. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and I find in working on D and D that one of the things I love is is the sort of rapid fire 
tiny little ideas that I can plant in people's brains. So uh, for, for backgrounds, it's the ideals and coupons and flaws and personality traits. Just how much can I pack into one sentence to make to, to inspire you in some way? Um, a magic cards flavor text is, is the same sort of way. Um, adventure seeds also the same. And, and so I think in all the plane shifts that I've done, as well as in Ravnica, there's some amount of that. Uh, what can I show you about the world um, in these tiny little ideas to spark your imagination? I agree on that. Years, a couple of years ago, I, I worked on a fourth edition supplement about Dragonborn um, and found that writing backgrounds, fourth edition backgrounds, which were different. But, so that was like a paragraph of, Here's a wacky character concept. Take it and run with it. And what, is, what does it inspire? Um, yeah, that's that's D&D in a nutshell. So I, I, uh, so here's a question that has been burning people up for a while, and I have not heard an answer to it. Who is the lady on the cover of the book? What's her story? So that's a fine question. Would you like to answer it with the character you play? (laughs) Stole the words right out of my mouth, James. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Oh, we're we're already marketing, see? (laughs) (laughs) So she's not someone in particular, she could be every woman. Yep. She is she is a powerful is it is it mage. She's an is it wizard and uh, yeah, she's uh, she's awesome. She is she is black, and this is the first D and D book that I know of where the main character on the front page is not only black but a black woman. Uh, what do you guys think about the reaction to a strong black lady on the cover of this product? And she's not sexualized. And she's not sexualized at all. So we personally just... like Ref says it's good, knocked it out of the park. We love it, but just wondering what it looked like from your point. So I, I just want to point out as that uh, Magali, who did the art for it, just hit a home run, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and it was it was an interesting thing, uh, you know, working on magic. Um, you know, inclusivity is a big part of what drives the brand, um, and so that's just one of the elements kind of going into it. It's it's an interesting thing because when I when I wrote the the art art description, uh, it was. I mean, it was it was deliberate, but it wasn't something that I was like, "This is going to be the thing." You know, it was just like, "This is this is this is kind of what what magic does. This represents magic," and uh, so I, it it just honestly it felt like a natural fit. There was nothing really uh, to me that felt like this is going to be you know um, the thing. Um, but it's it's I'm super happy with how it turned out. Um, I think she's awesome. One of the reasons I'm playing an is it wizard. Uh, but, uh, yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be eat up with is it wizards uh, in the, <laughs> the D&D playing among among Guild Monsters Guide Ravnica. They seem awesome. very popular or, now. I was, I was just considering my is it wizard. Or izzard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> izzard. izzard. Mm-hmm. His name's Eddie. Oh. <laughs> Has there has there been much public reaction, or has it just kind of been like a a, a nod and yep, that's awesome, moving on? Uh, honestly, I, I think. That, oh, go ahead. Sorry, James. I saw a tweet the other day that that called it out as something really awesome, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I guess it is. It, you know, like Ari said, working on magic, this is what we do, and and it didn't 
surprise me. You know, it, it didn't register in my brain as a significant, huge thing. Um, Sahili marketed Kaladesh for us, an Indian woman. So, yeah, I guess I'm I'm pretty proud of our company and our brand. That, that didn't strike me as odd at all. Perhaps D and D has a little catching up to do. Um, obviously. Art in both products has changed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years. I I do remember Matt Cavada painting an awesome uh, black man for the cover of Complete Arcane for third edition. In fact, I have a print of that painting in in a frame in my house with his matching cat. It's so awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that guy. Yeah, the the termish wizard, the square-bearded wizard, uh, I think also, I mean, that art, something like that, I think is still in the current PHP? Uh, not that particular piece, but there is... Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's all new art, but it's some, right, it's, right. it's a, a black wizard, That's I believe, right. is the art for it. That's so, correct. Yeah. Which was, I, I thought, kind of a, a pay-in to that old, mm-hmm. old art. Oh. Yeah, but the cat with the beard was hilarious, too. Yes. You know, I hadn't made that connection before. That is, yeah, that is a good. Um, all right. Well, I, just kind of general. Um, is there anything else that you can share with us? Well, about the the book, um, and that you want to share, or that you're super excited and just want to share with our listeners. Uh, the thing that I keep coming back to that I just that I love about it is uh, how the book builds in a lot of uh, connective tissue for characters or for players to create between characters. Um, There's the system of contacts, which is really cool that when you create a character, you roll up contacts both in your guild and outside of your guild. And so it's an opportunity for characters to have possibly common uh, contacts, which then leads to good adventure (laughs) hooks and everything. And it is, it is so much fun. The, the almost like the session zero of a Ravnica campaign. I'm setting up how everybody potentially knows each other. Um, if that's the way you want to go, if it's pre-existing uh, relationships, is it's so easy to do, uh, and it's really fun to build motivations. And it also allows it, it kind of the book is does a good job of, uh, in my opinion, uh, does a good job of showing you that uh, the guilds aren't monolithic in their worldview. That there is a range. So if you have a part of a, a party that's all from the same guild, you could still have very different characters that even see the actions of their own guild very differently. And so there's a richness to building characters here with using guilds as your starting point and the cosmopolitan nature of Ravnica um, to create yeah, create characters that are uniquely Ravnican and that make you think about even creating characters in other settings in a different way, you know, with worldview uh, as kind of your anchor point. I like that a lot. It reminds me of something I've seen way too many times on the internet recently. Like, there's only one person in the world who views you like you view you. Everyone views you differently, and it'll be the exact same with your character, the exact same with your guild. And, like, to everyone out there, they have a unique view of the guild, so you can make it your own thing. That's right. Oh, that's so good. That's right, and not every every member of the Boros Legion has to get along, you know, and not every you know that that's the thing that that's that's the richness right there is 
when things become morally gray, you know, how do characters react with one with, with one another or react to one another's decisions? And I think that's just, it is so much fun to see that. Um, and obviously it gets even more emphasized when you have your party made up of characters from different guilds. And it's just, yeah, playing it right now, James is running a game uh, in the office and it is everybody uh, at the table is from a different guild. And it is, it has been really fun to see how people respond. The, uh, the the parting words I would offer, I think, in a completely different direction, is a shout out to the cartographers who worked on the book. Yeah. Um, both of them. So uh, Jonas Duro actually had built a model of the 10th district of Ravnica, a 3D model um, for our world guides. And I asked him to basically paint over it uh, to make the maps in the book. And he did an awesome job. And Dyson Logos, um, basically, I asked him to make something up because he was going to draw a much better better map than I was going to. And he did it. He knocked it out of the park, just dreaming up what these buildings would look like as adventure locations and working with me to, to refine them as necessary, which was not very much. So that was really fun. And I'm really happy with having those maps in the book. All of the cartography is just top notch. I mean, I yeah. And... I gotta, you know, I, I love Dyson anyways, so, like, it just, everything he keeps putting out, man. I'm just more in love yep. with that guy. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, well, I think... Now we come to everybody's favorite yeah. part of the show. Yeah, Paige, do you want to wanna open with a plot seed? I know you've got one bubbling in there. All right, so the last little bit of our show is we try to do plot seeds where we're just throwing out cool plots for homebrew DMs out there. So this this is the free association portion of the show. Uh, all right. Uh, and I actually am going to be running a, a Ravnica game for the Atlanta Drunks and Dragons crew in a couple of weeks. So I'll be listening <laughs> to these uh, very closely because I need to write something for it. Um, all right. Uh, my plot seed, a member of the Azorius Senate has passed away through natural causes had a heart attack out in some of the wild areas of the 10th district. They were, I don't know, inspecting Selesnia conclave orchards or something. And, uh, and they're dead. And so they're transporting the body of this person back to the Azorius Senate for whatever comes next. And uh, a bunch of different guilds realize if they can get the body and res this person that they could get all this inside information through the Azorius Senate. So you are either with the, the, the people returning, trying to get the body back to the Azorius Senate, or you're like from House Demir, and you're like, holy cats, I'd get all the secrets if I could just get the body. Or, uh, you know, hey, I'm with the, I'm with the uh, Golgari Swarm. We're going to turn that guy into a fungus zombie. Screw those any waste in the Azorius Senate. <laughs> uh, say, wouldn't it be awesome to see him dancing on stage as mm-hmm. a zombie? <laughs> Performance art! <laughs> yes. Uh, and then the Simic Combine is like, no, we can rebuild him, make him better. Uh, so That's it becomes... Stronger. Right, right. Uh, so it becomes kind of a free-for-all where everybody wants the guy, and so the PCs have to either go in with these conflicting guild uh, directives and then they have to say well what's the right thing to do with this guy's body and is what my guild wants better than the right thing or worse than the right thing so that's my plot scene oh man that's pretty cool yeah i like there are hooks for all the different guilds to jump in on that that's that's a good one oh man 
now I feel all done. <laughs> um, I mine was simple, and it was more in line with you know some traditional D and D tropes. We've got the ever important Mizium um, for the Izzet Guild, and um, turns out uh, somehow someone got into the boiler. Uh, oh, not the boiler pits, the blister coils. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, down there. And there's been a very large explosion. Uh, for those who don't know, the, the blister coils generate uh, uh, what is known as, uh, I think technical term is, insane amounts of mana, which is very important. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do spells and you're going to do stuff, you need mana. It's the, it's the force that keeps everything going. Um, don't know how much that really plays into this, but uh, so all of the guilds kind of have a, a little bit of a, a vested interest in uh, restoring the f- flow of mana through the, the city and kind of joining together, as it was in this one, instead of being at odds. Um, but at the same time, you're trying to figure out, well, who the fuck did this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there's something really cool there. Um, there's the... Um... Mizium apparatus, I think, James, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that has the table of things that ha- can happen when you cast magic through it. Um, yeah, so you could do something really fun in that type of scenario where if something is messing with magic in general, that casters themselves might just have to roll on this, this table to see what happens whenever they cast spells. You could do a really kind of fun citywide kind of magic going haywire with a situation like that. That's really fun. Yeah. Wild magic effects. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah haywire of, magic's always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of kind of the uh, uh, equivalent of something's gone wrong in the weave and everything's a little bit wonky and your magic's going wild and uh, we're trying to fix it, but everything we do is not is making it worse. Yes. That's yeah. cool. I like that a lot. I might steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, these are free for the stealing. Who's got the next plot seat? <laughs> Let me tell you about my campaign. I'm listening to I love it. Games. Yeah. Yeah. So the the premise that I used for the game that I'm running at lunch is that um, all the characters were childhood friends. And something happened that none of them remember. Um, and they all kind of went off their separate ways and joined their, their different guilds. And we intentionally made it that none of the characters were in the same guild. Um, then they got summoned back. They fought by one of them, uh, sending a note to each of them saying, hey, this is a good day. We should uh, reunite, get back together. None of them, the date felt significant, but none of them could remember why. And it turned out that that member of the party didn't actually send the notes. And the, there's a Rakdos blood witch involved somehow who seems to be the one who's <laughs> trying to spark their memories to come back. They found a blood-stained knife in the little old uh, hideout where they used to, to uh, meet, gather together in their secret clubhouse when they were kids. Um, and don't remember where that's from, but Ari's wizard built a device to analyze the blood and, and draw sort of visions out of that. Um, wow, I'm just kind of rambling about my campaign here, but uh, the, the basic seed there is A, characters who knew each other as children, and B, there seems to be some memory manipulation going on. What's up with that? I mean, uh, memory manipulation in Magic the Gathering? (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe it. Who could be involved? And this is exactly the part for rambling. So you're all good. All good. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Oh, I want to play that campaign. It's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, when we actually play, I uh, so often find myself on Tuesdays at noon just tired <laughs> and un- <laughs> unprepared. And one hour a month, roughly, is just not enough to get everybody involved and invested. But I'm going to work on being better. <laughs> All right. So the next plot seed I have is that uh, the Simic Combine, that you have died. Whatever happened in your last adventure, it went very badly. Uh, and you wake up in a Simic Combine tank. And they're like, ah, we're so glad you're back. Uh, we have decided to bring you back from the dead as a favor to your guild. And uh, we've made some improvements. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and uh, so I, it gets a little like paranoia-y because you're mm-hmm. trying all these new things that may or may not work. Paranoia, the role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but I think it'd be fun. But probably oh, probably cool. best for a one-shot. I really like that. Also really cool. Oh, tinkering in the genetic pool. Yep. Yes. Oh, goodness. That never goes well. So one I've got is um, the group is starts to get um, either accosted or approached by kind of by Orzhov enforcers and trying to kind of get them to do stuff for them. And at some point they are compelled to kind of Go before one of the uh, the uh, nobles of the of the Orzhov, and it turns out that each character's one of their ancestors made a deal uh, with the Orzhov syndicate and mortgaging essentially their descendants to the <laughs> to the Orzhov, and so now each each character is beholden to the Orzhov, and they have to either do as the Orzhov bid or try to find ways to get out of this. Uh, this contract that they had nothing to do with uh, signing. No, nobody gets out of, Nor- of an Orzhov contract. Like that <laughs> mortgage <you> <laughs> gets sold to the to the next bidder, and then off you go. It's, it's That's awesome. I really want to run a Waterdeep Dragon Heist campaign set in Ravnica. Oh, that's Waterdeep. good. Oh man! All right. Onto that. Getting- See, now we're going to go back to the questions because you have Waterdeep Dragon Heist, you have Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, and you have Guildmaster's Guide to Rabinica. Bam, bam, bam! Like, all right on top of each other. Like, Yeah, poor D&D team has been going crazy the last couple of months. Well, I mean, it seems like, you know, these things should all play well together. Like, you could absolutely run Dragon Heist in Ravnica. There's a lot of mashup opportunity. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, that is that is a thing to try. I am on board. <laughs> Maybe I'll just segue our campaign that direction. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's good content. Are we looking for a horde of uh, a, a cache of zibs then? Uh, yes. Only Xenos, only Xenos. <laughs> only Xenos. Oh no! It, it, it's it's a meager uh, it's a it's a meager treasure. Oh. Uh. Fistful of Xenos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you are, uh, your mother's best friend's jazzercise instructor's nail technician says that her cousin lives in this little place out in one of the wild areas, and uh, and you go out there to visit for whatever reason. Um, you know, you're taking them fresh baked bread or something. And when you get there, you realize the Golgari swarm is uh, is heading heading towards you. And then that is your plot seed. You have to figure out what to do with the Golgari Swarm. Lead them away, fight them off, evacuate people. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, That's a fun thing. The, an evacuation story, which could be from, you know, the is it kind of explosion, a Golgari contaminated area. There's a lot of fun stuff you could do with something like that. Uh, and you could do one where your party has been accused of uh, some heinous crime. And um, you find that you're being followed everywhere you go um, by these assassins that have been hired, uh, obviously, out of House Demir. They're up to no good. And you've got to kind of clear your name of that. Well, at the same time... You, you can't try, prove that. At the same time, you know, trying not to get uh, murderated. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a uh, kind of a interesting thing. That's actually kind of similar to the thing we've got going in the Eberron storyline. But I think it really w- works here. With you know, you've been you've been um, tried and 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 judged. Um, you went before maybe the Azorius Senate, and the proof was just over. Overwhelming and not obviously fake, but overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> so they had no choice, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're on the run and and also on the run. So I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of, you know, there. Maybe you if you pitch in and you try to try to get sanctuary from some of the other guilds. Um, they've each got their own reasons for housing you or helping you or whatever it may be um, through your various ties from your players. So a lot of a lot of ways that could go. Um, probably none of the ways that I would think of because my players <laughs> jerks like that. <laughs> yep. Keep you on your toes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep you on your toes and then your toes start hurting and it's just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no uh, no campaign plan ever survived first contact with the players. <laughs> Never. Yeah. I've started thinking about it like every bit of preparation you do for a game is just a reason to say no to the players. So don't prepare so much. That's that's exactly my philosophy. That's pretty deep. I am, <laughs> the, pretty deep. I am the unprepared DM, which makes me the most prepared DM. Yep. I have prepared there f- nothing. There are fewer ways to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I have prepared nothing. Therefore, whatever you say is good, and I'll make it up as we go. Yep. It's been especially true in the game that I'm running at lunch that because I assume that these characters know the city where they live, like Ari was talking about before, and they, they say, where was our hideout when we were kids? I say, you tell me. I don't know. <laughs> you were there. So oh, I mean, letting them participate in world building as we mm-hmm. go. Really oh, cool. yeah, yeah. You absolutely should ask your PCs to help because that just makes them invested and it makes it worse when you burn it down. Yep. Not that I would ever burn down my PC's hideout. I accidentally burned down my own hideout as a PC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're Dungeons and Dragons characters. Fire is a thing that happens. Fire happens, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knew that casting fireball in a wooden compound was a bad idea? <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine, yeah. Yeah, certainly not me. Uh, all right, all right. Well, I think we've got some good plot seeds and... We're kind of at our time, so I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, so we'll do our um, outro. Um, everyone will tell you, tell them, ugh, tell our listeners where they can find you um, online on any social media you may have. And then we'll do the same and wrap it up. All right. Um, how about, Ari, let's start with you. Where can everyone find you? 
Um, so I'm trying to get better at this, and I kind of apologize ahead of time every single time I mention this, but uh, I'm bad at Twitter. But if you want to try me on Twitter, uh, I am uh, at Winnemall, W-I-N-N-E-M-A-L-L. And uh, yeah, so I'm trying to get better at responding to people. Just bear with me. All right. I've also put a really handy uh, link to all your cool stuff that you've done, the MTG Gamepedia link, so people can read more about what you've been involved in. I did, like your monster I, I did like your monster manual pancakes on your Twitter. Oh yeah, thank you. That was uh, that was a ton of fun to eat. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about you, James? Where can our listeners find you? Um, I am uh, at aquella.com, A-Q-U-E-L-A. That's the name of the campaign setting I developed when I was in high school. And on Twitter, I'm Aquella James. All right, that is great. Uh, Paige, you want to tell yours and then I'll wrap it out. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at P-A-I-G-E-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. Or if you go to Facebook and you look at the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition Facebook group, you can find me there. All right, you can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y under the same on Facebook. You can find the Roundtable, as always, on Facebook at our page, the D&D Roundtable, or you can shoot us an email to D&D, oh man, it's the D&D Roundtable at gmail.com. Please don't send them out into the abyss. We want to see your stuff. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love if you send us uh, feedback. Uh, reviews are always welcome on iTunes or on Facebook. That's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.